Chapter Nine of Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the following fortnight, I find it difficult to write coherently. I found myself in a steady whirl of receptions, luncheons, dinners, teas, and assemblies of rather a pretentious character, at the greater number of which I was obliged to appear as the guest of honor it began with the reception of mrs flood at which i may be said to have made my first formal bow to the smarter element of redcap followed by the dinner of the mrs ballard with whom i had formed acquaintance on that first memorable evening i was during this time like a babe at blind play with a set of chessmen not knowing king from pawn nor one rule of the game senator flood who was but a member of their provincial assembly i discovered sought an early opportunity to felicitate me on my changed estate though he seemed not a little amused by it good work he said you know i was afraid our having an english valet would put me in bad with voters this fall they're already saying i wear silk stockings since i've been abroad my wife did buy me six pair but i've never worn any <laughs> shows how people talk though and even now they'll probably say i'm making up to the british army but it's better than having a valet in the house the plain people would never stand my having a valet and i know it i thought this most remarkable that his constituency should resent his having proper house service american politics were then more debased than even we of england had dreamed good work he said again and say take out your papers become one of us be a citizen nothing better than an american citizen on god's green earth read the declaration of independence here from a bookcase at his hand he reached me a volume read and reflect my man become a citizen of a country where true worth has always its chance and one may hope to climb to any heights whatsoever quite like an advertisement he talked but i read their so-called declaration finding it snarky in the extreme and with no end of silly rot about equality in no way at all did it solve the problems by which i had been so suddenly confronted social lines in the town seemed to have been drawn by no rule whatever there were actually tradesmen who seemed to matter enormously on the other hand there were those of undoubted qualifications like mrs pettengill for example and cousin egbert who deliberately chose not to matter and mingled as freely with the bohemian set as they did with the county families thus one could never be quite certain whom one was meeting there was the tuttle person i had learned from mrs effie in paris that he was an indian accounting for much that was startling in his behaviour there 
yet despite his being an aborigine i now learned that his was one of the county families and he and his white american wife were guests at that first dinner throughout the meal both cousin egbert and he winked atrociously at me whenever they could catch my eye there was again an english person calling himself hobbs a baker to whom cousin egbert presented me full of delight at the idea that as compatriots we were bound to be congenial yet it needed only a glance and a moment's listening to the fellow's execrable cockney dialect to perceive that he was distinctly low class and i was immensely relieved upon inquiry to learn that he affiliated only with the bohemian set i felt a marked antagonism between us at that first meeting the fellow eyed me with frank suspicion and displayed a taste for low chaffing which i felt bound to rebuke he it was i may now disclose who later began a fashion of referring to me as lord algy which i found in the worst possible taste sets himself up for a gentleman does he he ain't no more a gentleman than what i be this speech of his reported to me will show how impossible the creature was he was simply a person one does not know and i was not long in letting him see it and there was the woman who was to play so active a part in my later history of whom it will be well to speak at once i had remarked her on the main street before i knew her identity i am bound to say she stood out from the other woman of red gap by reason of a certain dash not to say beauty rather above medium height and of pleasingly full figure her face was piquantly alert with long-lashed eyes of a peculiar green a small nose the least bit raised a lifted chin and an abundance of yellowish hair but it was the expertness of her gowning that really held my attention at that first view and the fact that she knew what to put on her head for the most part the ladies i had met were well enough gotten up yet looked curiously all wrong lacking a genius for harmony of detail this person i repeat displayed a taste that was faultless a knowledge of the peculiar needs of her face and figure that was unimpeachable rather with regret it was i found her to be a mrs kenner the leader of the bohemian set and then came the further items that marked her as one that could not be taken up perhaps a summary of these may be conveyed when i say that she had long been known as klondike kate she had some years before it seemed been a dancing person in the far alaska north and had there married the proprietor of one of the resorts in which she disported herself 
a man who had accumulated a very sizable fortune in his public house and who was shot to death by one of his patrons who had alleged unfairness in a game of chance the widow had then purchased a town-house in red gap and had quickly gathered about her what was known as the bohemian set the county families of course refusing to know her after that first brief study of her i could more easily account for the undercurrents of bitterness i had felt in red gap society she would be i saw a dangerous woman in any situation where she was opposed there was that about her a sort of daring disregard of the established social order i was not surprised to learn that the men of the community strongly favored her especially the younger dancing set who were not restrained by domestic considerations small wonder then that the women of the old noblesse as i may call them were outspokenly bitter in their comments upon her this i discovered when i attended an afternoon meeting of the ladies onwards and upwards club which i had been told would be devoted to a study of the english lake poets and where it having been discovered that i read rather well i had consented to favour the assembly with some of the more significant bits from these bards the meeting i regret to say after a formal enough opening was diverted from its original purpose the time being occupied in a quite heated discussion of a so-called dutch supper the klondike person had given the evening before the same having been attended it seemed by the husbands of at least three of those present who had gone incognito as it were at no time during the ensuing two hours was there a moment that seemed opportune for the introduction of some of our noblest verse and so by often painful stages did my education progress at the country club i played golf with mr jackson at social affairs i appeared with the flouds i played bridge i danced the more dignified dances and though there was no proper church in the town only dissenting chapels methodist presbyterian and such outlandish persuasions i attended services each sabbath and more than once had tea with what at home would have been the vicar of the parish it was now when i had begun to feel a bit at ease in my queer foreign environment that mr belknap jackson broached his ill-starred plan for amateur theatricals at the first suggestion of this i was immensely taken with the idea suspecting that he would perhaps present hamlet a part to which i have devoted long and intelligent study and to which i feel that i could bring something which has not yet been imparted to it by even the most skilled of our professional actors but at my suggestion of this mr belknap jackson informed me that he had already played hamlet himself the year before leaving nothing further to be done in that direction 
and he wished now to attempt something more difficult, something, moreover, that would appeal to the little group of thinking people about us. He would have a little theatre of ideas, as he phrased it, and he had chosen for his first offering a play entitled Ghosts by the foreign dramatist Ibsen. I suspected at first that this might be a farce, where a supposititious ghost brings about absurd predicaments in a country house. Having seen something along these lines, but her reading of the thing enlightened me as to its character, which, to put it bluntly, is rather thick. There is a strain of immorality running through it, which I believe cannot be too strongly condemned if the world is to be made better, and this is rendered the more repugnant to right-thinking people by the fact that the participants are middle-class persons who converse in quite commonplace language, such as one may hear any day in the home. Wrongdoing is surely never so objectionable as when it is indulged in by common people and talked about in ordinary language. And the language of this play is not staged language at all. Immorality such as one gets in Shakespeare is of so elevated a character that one accepts it, the language having a grandeur incomparably above what any person was ever capable of in private life, being always elegant and unnatural. Though I felt this strongly, I was in no position to urge my objections, and at length consented to take a part in the production, reflecting that the people depicted were really foreigners, and the part I would play was that of a clergyman whose behaviour throughout is above reproach. For himself, Mr. Jackson had chosen the part of Oswald, a youth who goes quite dotty at the last, for reasons which are better not talked about. His wife was to play the part of a serving-maid, who was rather a baggage, while Mrs. Judge Ballard was to enact his mother. I may say in passing I have learned that the plays of this foreigner are largely concerned with people who have been queer at one time or another, so that one's parentage is often uncertain, though they always pay for it by going off in the head before the final curtain. I mean to say there is too much neighborhood scandal in them. There remained but one part to fill, that of the father of the serving-maid, an uncouth sort of drinking man, quite low-class, who, in my opinion, should never have been allowed on the stage at all, since no moral lesson is taught by him. It was in the casting of this part that Mr. Jackson showed himself of a forgiving nature. He offered it to Cousin Egbert, saying he was the true type, with his weak, dissolute face, and that types were all the rage in theatricals. At first the latter heatedly declined the honour, but after being urged and browbeaten for three days by Mrs. Effie, he somewhat sullenly consented, being shown that there were not many lines for him to learn. From the first, I think, he was rendered quite miserable by the ordeal before him, yet he submitted to the rehearsals with a rather pathetic desire to please, and for a time all seemed well. 
many an hour found him mugging away at the book earnestly striving to memorize the part or as he quaintly expressed it that there piece they want me to speak but as the day of our performance drew near it became evident to me at least that he was in a desperately black state of mind as best i could i cheered him with words of praise but his eye met mine blankly at such times and i could see him shudder poignantly while waiting the moment of his entrance and still all might have been well i fancy but for the extremely conscientious views of mr jackson in the matter of our costuming and make-up with his lines fairly learned cousin egbert on the night of our dress rehearsal was called upon first to don the garb of the foreign carpenter he was to enact the same involving shorts and grey woollen hose to his knees at which he protested violently so far as i could gather his modesty was affronted by this revelation of his lower legs being at length persuaded to this sacrifice he next submitted his face to mr jackson who adjusted it to a labouring person's beard and eyebrows crimsoning the cheeks and nose heavily with grease-paint and crowning all with an unkempt wig the result i am bound to say was artistic in the extreme no one would have suspected the identity of cousin egbert and i had hopes that he would feel a new courage for his part when he beheld himself instead however after one quick glance into the glass he emitted a gasp of horror that was most eloquent and thereafter refused to be comforted holding himself aloof and glaring hideously at all who approached him rather like a mad dog he was half an hour later when all was ready for our first act cousin egbert was not to be found i need not dwell upon the annoyance this occasioned nor upon how a substitute in the person of our hall's custodian or janitor was impressed to read the part suffice it to tell briefly that cousin egbert costumed and bedizened as he was had fled not only the theatre but the town as well search for him on the morrow was unavailing not until the second day did it become known that he had been seen at daybreak forty miles from red gap goading a spent horse into the wilds of the adjacent mountains our informant disclosed that one side of his face was still bearded and that he kept glancing back over his shoulder at frequent intervals as if fearful of pursuit something of his frantic state may also be gleaned from the circumstance that the horse he rode on was one he had found hitched in a side street near the hall its ownership being unknown to him for the rest it may be said that our performance was given as scheduled announcement being made of the sudden illness of mr egbert floud and his part being read from the book in a rich and cultivated voice by the superintendent of the high school our efforts were received with respectful attention by a large audience among whom i noted many of the bohemian set and this i took as an especial tribute to our merits 
mr belknap jackson however to whom i mentioned the circumstance was pessimistic i fear said he we have not heard the last of it i'm sure they came for no good purpose they were quite orderly in their behaviour i suggested which is why i suspect them that kenner woman hobbs the baker the others of their set they're not thinking people i dare say they never consider social problems seriously and you may have noticed that they announce an amateur minstrel performance for a week hence i am quite convinced that they mean to be vulgar to the last extreme there has been so much talk of the behaviour of the wretched floud a fellow who really has no place in our modern civilization he should be compelled to remain on his ranch and indeed these suspicions proved to be only too well founded that which followed was so atrociously personal that in any country but america we could have had an action against them as mr belknap jackson so bitterly said when all was over our boasted liberty has degenerated into license it is best told in a few words this affair of the minstrel performance which i understood was to be an entertainment wherein the participants darkened themselves to resemble blackamoors naturally i did not attend it being agreed that the best people should signify their disapproval by staying away but the disgraceful affair was recounted to me in all its details by more than one of the large audience that assembled in the so-called grand first part there seemed to have been little that was flagrantly insulting to us although in their exchange of conundrums which is a peculiar feature of this form of entertainment certain names were bandied about with a freedom that boded no good it was in the afterpiece that the poltroons gave free play to their vilest fancies our piece having been announced as ghosts a drama for thinking people this part was entitled on their programme gloats a dram for drinking people a transposition that should perhaps suffice to show the dreadful lengths to which they went yet i feel that the thing should be set down in full the stage was set as our own had been but it would scarce be credited that the kenner woman in male attire had made herself up in a curiously accurate resemblance to belknap jackson as he had rendered the part of oswald copying not alone his wig moustache and fashion of speech but appearing in a golfing suit which was recognized by those present as actually belonging to him nor was this the worst for the fellow hobbs had copied my own dress and make-up and persisted in speaking in an exaggerated manner alleged to resemble mine this of course was the most shocking bad taste and while it was quite to have been expected of hobbs 
i was indeed rather surprised that the entire assembly did not leave the auditorium in disgust the moment they perceived his base intention but it was cousin egbert whom they had chosen to rag most unmercifully and they were not long in displaying their clumsy attempts at humour as the curtain went up they were searching for him affecting to be unconscious of the presence of their audience and declaring that the play couldn't go on without him have you tried all the saloons asked one to which another responded yes and he's been in all of them but now he has fled the sheriff has put bloodhounds on his trail and promises to have him here dead or alive then while we are waiting declared the character supposed to represent myself i will tell you how wheeze whereupon both the female characters fell to their knees shrieking not that my god not that while oswald sneered viciously and muttered serves me right for leaving boston to show the infamy of the thing i must here explain that at several social gatherings in an effort which i still believe was praiseworthy i had told an excellent wheeze which runs have you heard the story of the three holes in the ground i mean to say i would ask this in an interested manner as if i were about to relate the anecdote and upon being answered no i would exclaim with mock seriousness well 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 this had gone rippingly almost quite every time i had favoured a company with it hardly any one of my hearers failing to get the joke at a second telling i mean to say the three holes in the ground being three wells uttered in rapid succession of course if one doesn't see it at once or finds it a bit subtle it's quite silly to attempt to explain it because logically there is no adequate explanation it is merely a bit of nonsense and that's quite all to it but these boors now fell upon it with their coarse humour the fellow hobbs pretending to get it all wrong by asking if they had heard the story about the three wells and the others replying no tell us the whole thing which made utter nonsense of it whereupon they all began to cry well 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 at each other until interrupted by a terrific noise in the wings which was followed by the entrance of the supposed cousin egbert a part enacted by the cab-driver who had conveyed us from the station the day of our arrival dragged on he was by the sheriff and two of the town constables the latter being armed with fowling-pieces and the sheriff holding two large dogs in leash the character himself was heavily manacled and madly rattled his chains his face being disguised to resemble cousin egbert's after the beard had been adjusted here he is exclaimed the supposed sheriff the dogs ran him into the third hole left by the well-diggers and we lured him out by making a noise like sourdough during this speech i am told the character snarled continuously and tried to bite his captors at this the woman 
who had so deplorably unsexed herself for the character of mr belknap jackson as he had played oswald approached the prisoner and smartly drew forth a handful of his beard which she stuffed into a pipe and proceeded to smoke after which they pretended that the play went on but no more than a few speeches had been uttered when the supposed cousin egbert eluded his captors and emitting a loud shriek of horror leaped headlong through the window at the back of the stage his disappearance being followed by the sounds of breaking glass as he was supposed to fall to the street below how lovely exclaimed the mimic oswald perhaps he has broken both his legs so he can't run off any more at which the fellow hobbs remarked in his affected tones that sort of thing would never do with us this i learned aroused much laughter the idea being that the remark had been one which i am supposed to make in private life though i dare say i have never uttered anything remotely like it the fellow is quite impossible continued the spurious oswald with a doubtless rather clever imitation of mr belknap jackson's manner if he is killed feed him to the goldfish and let one of the dogs read his part we must get along with this play now then ah why did i ever leave boston where everyone is nice and proper to which his supposed mother replied with feigned emotion it was because of your father my poor boy ah what i had to endure through those years when he cursed and spoke disrespectfully of our city scissors and white aprons he would cry out why is boston but i bore it all for your sake and now you too are smoking you will go the same way but promise me mother returns oswald promise me if i ever get dusty in the garret that lord algier will tell me one of his funny wheezes and put me out of pain you could not bear to hear me knocking boston as poor father did and i feel it coming already my mother-in-law has bluffed me into admitting that red gap has a right to be on the same map with boston if it's a big map and this was the coarsely wretched buffoonery that refined people were expected to sit through yet worse followed for at their climax the mimic oswald having gone quite off his head the hobbs person still with the preposterous affectation of taking me off in speech and manner was persuaded by the stricken mother to sing sing that dear old plantation melody from london she cried so that my poor boy may know there are worse things than death and all this witless piffle because of a quite natural misunderstanding of mine i have before referred to what i supposed was an american plantation melody which i had heard a black sing at brighton meaning one of the english blacks who colour themselves for the purpose 
but on reciting the lines at an evening affair when the american folk songs were under discussion i was told that it could hardly have been written by an american at all but doubtless by one of our own composers who had taken too little trouble with his facts i mean to say the song as i had it betrayed misapprehensions both of a geographical and faunal nature but i am certain that no one thought the worse of me for having been deceived and i had supposed the thing forgotten yet now what did i hear but that a garbled version of this song had been supposedly sung by myself the hobbs person meantime mincing across the stage and gesturing with a monocle which he had somehow procured the words being quite simply oh we down south in michigan where i was a slave so happy and so gay twas there i mowed the cotton and the cane i used to hunt the elephants the tigers and giraffes and the alligators at the break of day but the bloomin' injuns prowled about my cabin every night so i take down me banjo and i'd play and i'd sing a little song and i'd make them dance with glee on the banks of the ohio far away mean to say there was nothing to make a dust about even if the song were not of a true american origin yet i was told that the creature who sang it received hearty applause and even responded to an encore End of chapter nine